0: Welcome to the Village Oak Tree for December 20th, 2023. I'm Terrence O'Donnell, back to your village with more news from the outside world. Come sit with me under the Village Oak Tree as I regale you with bits of important news from around the world and an editorial about something very special. When I go on my break, I've created a short advertisement for my podcast website for you to listen to while I wet my whistle a little bit. I have a bunch of news stories for you today. Some you know of, maybe, some maybe not. Coming up in the second half, I'll give you some U.S. history, past and present, and a prognosis on their future if things keep going the way they are. Stay tuned, as this episode may run a little longer than usual. But just, you know, this episode being just before Christmas, um, it's a good one. So, uh, you know, stay with me and we'll go for it. So, let me get to my first story this week. And a lot, remember, all my stories are anywhere from anywhere from six to seven days to some I picked up just yesterday. U.S. and China race to shield secrets from quantum computers. I got this last week from David Lag in Reuters. It's a scary news story for everyone. Quantum computing. Apparently, this is going to change the world as we know within a couple of years. Meanwhile, nation-states like China and the U.S. are scrambling to gather as much data of any kind they can use as leverage later when quantum computers eliminate all current cybersecurity algorithms obsolete. This will change the world and a whole lot of things in the near future. It's something to be kind of really scared about because you know how human nature is. They invent something without looking first, and next thing you know, all kinds of bad things happen. And this quantum computing is going to be one of them. Conned, exploited, trapped. Romania's new flock of Asian delivery riders. The jobs and conditions that await Sri Lankans barely resemble the opportunities offered to them by shady agents. And I got this one out of Al Jazeera uh, by Lola Garcia, as your friend in Al, you know, in Al Jazeera. More and more stories of immigrant explota- exploitation around the world. Traffickers and work in other countries, charging job seekers thousands of dollars to set them up. And when the workers arrive, the advertised jobs are not there and they end up living in unsafe conditions with very low salaries, as if by design. How is this not modern day slavery when the wages given are not enough to pay the debts incurred when they accepted the jobs? And then I, you know, this is not the first story I brought to your attention here and it won't be the last. But it's going on all over the world now because the only one making money is the traffickers. These so-called recruiting companies. Yeah, well, they're just traffickers with a fancy name. Eyes on Hungary's Orban as EU leaders decide on support for Ukraine. Come out of BBC News here by Nick Thorpe. Trouble in the EU over Ukraine's bid for EU membership. Hungary is laying out reasons as to why not but not ruling it out. Ukraine is in dire straits right now after losing the support of the Americans, so they need to find support in the EU and quickly, or risk Russia taking over. Something the EU does not want to happen. Well, they kind of went around Hungary here after this story was posted and are doing everything they can to bring Ukraine into the fold. Now, how that's going to work out and how soon will it be? Because right now, Ukraine is floundering. They're having a lot of problem with not enough troops anymore. They've all been killed off, and money and more arms to to hold off the Russians. It's not looking good right now. Finland to sign defense pact with the United States by Ann Karenin and Esileto in Reuters, and so it begins with Finland being the newest, newest member of NATO. They're, taking lo- they're not taking long to set up shop with the U.S. when it comes to stockpiling weapons and setting up express transportation portals to enable a quick reaction force to help secure the border with Russia. I can imagine Putin is watching and shaking a fist at the Americans over this. And since this has come out, Finland has closed their borders again. And what this story, story talks about a little bit more is how the Americans are working with the Finns to set up cash arms and cash depots in the country. Now, there's not going to be any U- any American troops there, but they're just laying in a bunch of hardware and ammunition just in case. And the Finland's all about that. They're scared of the Russians. Now, we're going to get into kind of climate change stuff a little bit here. Uh, Russian gas giant Gazprom makes 39 million pounds profit in the North Sea bbc.com by Ben King. A couple of weeks ago, I reported that Russia will do literally anything to fund the war in Ukraine. And here's another example. From shadow ships to backdoor deals using Gazprom, the oil money is still making its way to Moscow. The Brits are upset because Gazprom is taking the oil from the joint UK-Dutch oil patch in the North Sea. Good luck stopping the Russians from taking and selling their oil. And again, another one of those deals where this story came out a few days ago. And since then, there's been other stories how the Russians have managed to kind of circumvent all these sanctions by selling their oil and stuff to other nations who don't care about the sanctions. So it looks like the Russia is kind of um, making their way and doing whatever they want. Santos given approval for gas drilling in Timor Sea, despite Tiwi Islanders objections. This is Santos, is a company out of Australia. Marks key regulators win for 5.8 billion Timor Sea Barossa project, but other corporate battles threaten to derail project. Come out of the Guardian.com Australian news. This came out of the Australian Associated Press. So I picked this story out of so many just to show how much the fossil fuel industry around the world really cares about the environment, not. This company has finally been given permission to drill, despite protests from indigenous peoples. But they're still fighting over the pipeline to transport the natural gas to a processing plant, stating it will hurt the underwater environment. This is, um, uh, this is how the fossil fuel industry works. They don't care about the environment. It's drill, baby, drill. Make that money. And this next story is coming from the Red Sea because I'm sure you've all heard by now that. The, the Houthi rebels over in Yemen have decided to target any ship that has an Israeli flag or of a ship that they know of is headed for Israel or anything like that. And they're throwing missiles and drone and drone attacks at them. And this story came out of Reuters. And as I said, it's, it's starting. How many sh- other shipping companies are going to follow suit? Well, since this story has come out... Quite a bit. Almost all of the shipping, the major shipping companies of the world have stopped letting their ships go up through the Red Sea, uh, up over that peninsula. This will have an impact on the whole region if the shipping lanes get shut down. Well, it already has. And it's going to show that the corporations and nations are not depending on the U.S. Navy to come sailing over the horizon to save the day anymore. So, as I said, there's an update. Uh, More shipping companies are hauling, diverting their ships, making them go around the horn now. The U.S. Navy has knocked down, well, I said 40, but another story said they only knocked down about 20. But, you know, the numbers are going up, drones and and missiles um, and counting going over the straits. It looks like deliveries to 80 ports in the Red Sea are being stopped. And most traffic to the Suez Canal may come to a near standstill as the Hoodies make their stand against Israel. This one, I'm going to come back here to the United States. This is kind of a social justice article that I picked up out of The Guardian. Judge sentences black child 10 to three months of probation for peeing in public. Mississippi judge also orders child to write a book report on Kobe Bryant after officers arrested him for urinating in a parking lot. So can we say racism here? Since when is it okay to arrest a 10-year-old child for peeing behind a car in a parking lot? Drunks do it all the time, and they rarely get arrested. If they get caught, they get slapped on the fist and told to go sleep it off somewhere. But a 10-year-old block child with no criminal record gets arrested, handcuffed, put in a squad car. All right, I take that back. They didn't put handcuffs on him. And then they put him in, but they did put him in a jail cell. As one lawyer said, quote, if he was white, this would have never happened, unquote. This is Mississippi, one of the most racist of the southern states. The officers were punished for being stupid, but the judge, well, that's a question mark. What does he get for not dismissing the case beforehand? Nothing, because this is Mississippi. And I'd say Louisiana and Alabama would probably do the same thing. Now, speaking of Alabama, I got another justice, social justice story coming out of Alabama, which I've had quite a few here lately. Lawsuit says prison labor system in Alabama mounts to modern-day formal slavery, by Mina Arshad in USA Today. You no, know, Another article about state of Alabama and in the U.S., now a lawsuit stating that the current prison system is nothing but a modern-day form of chattel slavery. Inmates, majority black folk, are forced to work under sometimes horrific, unsafe conditions for little to no pay. This is supposedly a violation of their civil rights, but this is Alabama, where people of color don't have as many civil rights as everyone else does. This is a same state that's forcing women's health clinics to close and fighting the federal government, a voting district, and gerrymandering, all to keep the white people in, in power and keeping the, wind, the women home and pregnant. So now we're going to go to Texas. I got a story by Carter Sherman in The Guardian. Kate Cox's case reveals toll of U.S. abortion bans on women in medical emergencies. So I'm sure you've probably heard the story by now. It's probably gone worldwide. Um, a young lady by the name of Kate Cox in Texas tried to abort a pregnancy because it was going to uh, uh, seriously hurt her. Uh, you know, pretty sure that the, the baby was going to die no matter what. And the Texas Supreme Court said, nope, sorry. So it's making national headlines, as I said. The white Republican majority government there is pretty much shut down any abortion of any type no matter whether the health of the mother or the fetus is in jeopardy. More states are lining up to mirror this, such as Alabama, Idaho, Tennessee, and many others. The men want to control people's lives so badly, they're willing to risk lives over power. Now I'm going to go back overseas. This is a story, it's a letter from Ireland. Uh, It's called Make Up Your Mind Time. And this, this came out of, as I said, my, my monthly letter I get from Sinn Fein. I posted this month's letter because it shows the world just how petty the British are. In this case, the DUP, even though the Brexit issues have been largely resolved, now they want to raise a chapter over the legal elections and held in the May of, in May of 2022, when Sinn Fein took the majority vote. They're crying because they aren't in charge anymore. Poor babies. You should read this. And there's more. There's there's more coming out of uh, coming out of Northern Ireland about this stuff too, um, and which I have a story later, which I'll get to. Senior Cardinal convicted of embezzlement in Vatican corruption trial, by Philip Polella in Reuters.com. So again, this is another story that's been all over the news. Uh, the The Vatican has won a pretty much a a trial here. Um, they took a cardinal uh, and and put him, they don't know whether they're going to put him in prison or not, but he's definitely lost everything uh, for embezzling finance in, in real estate deals. So I think it was about nine other people that got involved in all of this as well. So the big question is, does this pretend an end to the Catholic Church as we know it? Scandals, not just this one. Financial corruption at the highest levels, like this one, and so on. Whatever happened to the vows of chastity and poverty? I doubt that the faith itself will die out, but institutions like the Vatican, the cardinals, bishops, and priests could definitely use a makeover. And maybe this Pope is starting to do that. Here's another article from the Vatican. Pope Francis takes on unprecedented attacks from American opponents by Christopher Lamb and CNN. Schisms within the Catholic Church with an American cardinal and bishop in the crosshairs Rome is taking action against the American Catholic clergy, who are in public disagreement with the Pope's vision for the future of the Church. He has sanctioned them, but will this just further cause ideological separations? Could the Catholic Church in the U.S. decide to go their own way in defiance of Pope Francis? Only if a right-wing conservative government takes over the White House. But that might not be too far-fetched. Now we're going to go into something different. It's, it's sort of kind of religious in a way, but it has nothing to do with the Catholic Church. Police officers stoned to death after rescuing FGM survivors in Kenya. For anybody who doesn't know what FGM is, is female genital mutilation. Activists see the killing as a setback in the efforts to eliminate the practice, despite it being illegal in Eastern African country. And this came out of TheGuardian.com by Peter Muri in Nairobi. And as I said, FGM stands for Female Genital Mutilation. It's still being carried out in backward cultures in Africa due to ignorance and a sense of power. This culture is slowly being eradicated, but as can be seen in this story, they still believe in it very strongly out there in the back areas. Mostly because the men controlling it have no idea what it does to the young girls being forced to undergo this inhumane treatment until they are shown some videos. Now they're backtracking. But as I said, it's a slow process. And this comes from extreme, really extreme conservative Shia laws here um, in in Islam. Experts disturbed by alarming trend after autopsying stranded whales. It's a huge wake-up call, unquote, by Doric Sam. Now, this is an environmental article from Yahoo, and I got this from the cool down. Uh, They typically do climate news. More and more scientists are finding dead marine life everywhere. Dead by ingesting or inhaling plastic waste found in the oceans. It's becoming a real issue for the life of the world's oceans, with microplastics and everything now. It's a wonder anything is able to survive. And to be honest with you, thousands and thousands of marine life of all kinds are being killed almost every week uh, over plastic ingestion in one form or another. Whether it's plastic bags, straws, microplastics, you name it. But they're dying. And it, it's a real shame. It's starting to become a real issue. I've got an article here, another article from the U.S., and in, in its environmental article. Um, so the question is do we do wolves attack livestock? U.S. cattle ranchers sue over planned release of apex predators. And this came out of Euro News by Jesse Bad Badain with the Associated Press. So U.S. cattle ranchers in Colorado are scared that they will lose a bunch of cattle to wolves if they're reintroduced to the wild and they sued to stop the release. The bigger issue is why they're so afraid of the big bad wolf. Money, that's why. They can't stand to lose even one cow to a predator because they don't care about the environment. For them, it's all about selling beef that has proven to be unhealthy to eat too much of and the methane they produce when the cows pass a lot of gas. So why now? Let the wolves have a meal now and again. You know, good for the human health and, and good for the environment. So as of this story came out, they, the government there in Colorado did, in fact, release five wolves in over there to let them do their thing. I mean, how really, seriously, how many cows is five wolves going to eat? You know, yeah, in a few years, there may be a, a handful more. You know, they may have some, some wolf cubs, uh, some wolf pups uh, at some point. But really, get over it. Now, another article from the United States. Men accused of killing 3,600 birds, including eagles, from BBC.com by Mike Wendling. So this is how stupid and maybe desperate some Americans are. They'll do anything to make money. The penalty is only going to be about five years. But maybe they should have been staked out of the Montana prairie and have blood and wet, wet meat spread over them to the, so the birds of prey can have their revenge. The Basically, what it amounts to is these idiots decided that they could sell body part, bird body parts, including eagles, which is illegal here in the United States, and make money off it, which they did for a while. Because believe it or not, they're buyers for that kind of stuff. They've finally been caught, and now they're going to go to jail for five years countries risk paying polluters billions to regulate the climate. UN expert by Kelly McNamara. And this came out of fizz.org. In the era of climate change and the push to get countries in line with renewable energy, corporations are suing the crap out of anyone, especially developing nations that don't have any money, to block action on any climate initiatives using investor state dispute settlement funds. And they call it ISDS. All these fossil fuel corporations want to be compensated for their losses as the world tries to phase out fossil fuels. This is causing smaller countries to back off on regulations to avoid these lawsuits. The world is fighting an entrenched system of corporations with mixed results so far, but it's only going to get worse, as we've seen from COP28. And what it amounts to, and let me kind of simplify it for you. So let's say a company invests in a developing nation and the developing nations decides that they don't want to do business with this corporation anymore. Well, they signed a contract. So the contracts are saying breach of contract and they're suing to get their money. And the developing nations don't have any money. So it's becoming a real big deal right now. And this one here comes out of the United States. Biden admin's drive for green energy leads to accusations of forced child labor mining for EV battery metals. China, unfazed by African human rights claims, Beats U.S. EV Sales by More Than 800% by Paul Tisley at Fox News. Now, I detest Fox News, but this article is actually something noteworthy. It's about imperialism and the U.S.'s complicity in child labor violations in developing countries like the DRC. Mining companies working children as young as four years old and for minerals needed for the gold rush of EV battery materials is causing a stir with international aid groups. The U.S. is not as bad as China, but they're still heavily involved, all to take advantage of the new gold, cobalt, and lithium. And more, I got more stuff here for, from the environment. Mount Everest is in trouble. Rapidly melting ice is made this year especially dangerous for climbers by Stacy Metri, Krishma Polkaram, Carl Churchill, and Paolo Bosanian in Wall Street Journal. A climate change article from the Himalayas: Rapidly melting glaciers are causing issue with climbers, or more specifically, all the tourism sporting them. The broader issue is the lack of meltwater going down to the south to Southwest Asia from the mountains, creating drought conditions, or flooding from rains instead of snow in the mountains. Sherpas will have to find a new line of work soon, and that's basically what's going on: is they're having to relocate the the almost entrenched base camp they got there. Uh, people are getting killed because the, st- the, the glaciers are too soft to climb on. All kinds of stuff going on. It's not just Mount Everest, but all the other mountains up there too are losing a lot of ice and glaciers. This is an article I got from Canada. Canada lays out plan to phase out sales of gas-powered cars and trucks by 2035. New rules will effectively end sales of vehicles powered only by gasoline or diesel by 2035 by Mia Robson at Canadian Press. New rules will set up a phased transition leading up to 100% transition by 2035. Good for Canada. Some countries in the EU are working towards a similar solution. As doubtful if the U.S. will ever come anywhere close to this in the foreseeable future. This one, it's an American article, but it has parts in South America. Lead contamination in applesauce possibly economically motivated, says FDA. Food and Drug Administration is investigating a facility in Ecuador and working with authorities to inspect cinnamon supplier. This came out of the Guardian world.com. From a factory in Ecuador, cinnamon contamination to enhance the flavor so they could sell more. Imagine that. Let's kill a few kids. What's the harm? We can still make, them make a lot more money. This is what the world is coming to. Sell anything to make large profits, no matter if it hurts or kills anyone. Collateral damage, right? Now, I'm, I've got a couple of articles from uh, about the Israeli thing. Um, how American citizens are leading rise of settler violence on Palestinian lands. This came made in the Guardian.com world by Chris McGrill, uh, based in New York. Biden put a ban on West Bank settlers from coming to the U.S., But that doesn't apply to the worst offenders of the ethnic cleansing, the American expats who live there. The story about how Americans went to Israel and set up American-style living, including colonial ethnic prejudice and cleansing. Some past Americans were so bad, they were banned from the Israeli government, yet they persist. It is estimated 100,000 Americans are largely responsible for all the violence against Palestinians for decades, because they want their colonizing American values and are willing to kill for them. Another article here. Israel is not America's responsibility, yet the global war on terror seems on the verge of absorbing the Gaza war into its current configuration by Andrew J. Bakkevich and thenation.com. It's a magazine article that describes how the U.S. is on the verge of getting sucked into another war in the Middle East if they decide to provide more protection for Israel. Something is becoming a possibility ever more so as Israel continues to chase Hamas through the tunnels and warrens of Gaza. All in the name of the global war on terrorism that George W. started after 9-11. Now I've got... I don't know really what, what I would call this kind of article, but it's, it's, it's kind of social justice. That insufferable billionaire tyrannizing Harvard enriches himself by tyrannizing the bond market. Meet Bill Ackman, the perfect embodiment of America's growing oligarch scourge. And I got this from New Republic by Tim, Timothy Noah. Here's an example of how much the United States is going down the rabbit hole of an authoritarian oligarch-style government. Rich billionaires who think that just because they are very wealthy, they can dictate what everyone else has to do. It's not just this guy in the article, but a pervasive sickness within the American culture. And this is another American article here. This is more coming from the government. Protect NATO from Donald Trump? The U.S. Congress just passed that into law. With Trump ahead in polls, lawmakers aim to keep it from leaving alliance by Alexander Panetta and CBC News. CBC News out of Canada. The U.S. is is so afraid of what Donald Trump or someone like him may do if elected, they're passing laws to prevent any president from being the sole decision-maker to withdraw the country from NATO. King Donald has already said he would do this if elected again, so this is no real surprise, but it seems legislators are starting to wake up to the real threat he is to democracy if elected. And here's another article, and I'll just briefly mention this. The state of Colorado here in the United States has evicted their Supreme Court has effectively said Donald Trump is a criminal and is no longer allowed to run, uh, put get put his name on the ballot in Colorado. And of course, they're all saying this is going to go straight to the federal Supreme Court, and they're going to see what they do. Will they overrule the state? Well, that's a good question. So I've got one more story for you here. And this is the one I talked about earlier from Ireland. DUP talks about post-Brexit trading have ended. Northern Ireland Secretary Terry says. Chris Heaton-Harris, said it's time to restore devolved government in comments that appeared to surprise DUP leader. And this came out of the Guardian.com UK news by Rory Carroll, the Ireland correspondent. The British Northwest Ireland Secretary is telling the DUP that negotiations are finished over the Brexit trade issue and the deal is on the table. Take it, because there's no another one coming. The DUP is saying, no, we are done yet. It looks like the British are telling the DUP leaders, sign it or shut up. Now what? Sir Jeffrey Donaldson seems to think he has leverage when he really doesn't anymore. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do over there. That's the end of the first half. Now it's time to take my break. While I'm on my break, give a listen to my promotional message. And please stay tuned for my op-ed of the week in the second half. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. I want to take this time during my break to talk to you about donating to my cause, if you can and give a little info on how to find my website and what's inside. The show is free to subscribe to on all major podcast apps, including Substack and YouTube, with the Donations tab on the Village Oak Tree webpage at rss.com and my website at krandabaha.com on the Donations page for anyone that feels generous enough to support my work. Think of it as passing the hat at the end of my visits to your village. If you like what I have to say here, please share this podcast with everyone you know as much as possible before it gets too late. My motive is not for money, but to make a difference in the world, and I can't do it without your help. For each article I present to you, there will be links to read the stories in their entirety in the follow-up newsletters posted in medium.com, substat.com, and in the blog section of my website, which is free to everyone. Now, I want to explain how to find my website, crowndebeha.com. Just type in www.crann-na-beatha.com in your browser and search for it. You may also use the link in the newsletters on median.com and substack.com or the podcast transcripts on rss.com and substack.com to find it for the first time. The name is Gaelic and may be a little hard to find unless you know what you're looking for then bookmark it if you wish to return again. I also have the RSS feeder enabled so if you like my blog posts, you can be notified whenever I post something new. Search for KronaBeha.com in your RSS feeder and set it up to receive the updates. Users finding the website for the first time will reach the welcome page to learn a little bit about what's inside. There you'll see a home page link where you can learn a little more about what KronaBeha means for a little bit of Irish culture and a little more about me in general. On the menu bar at the top, there are links to a blog section where I post podcast newsletters, blog articles, stories, and poems, a drop-down menu with links to both podcasts, a donations page linked to PayPal for your personal data security, an ad page for my published books, and a contact page in case someone cares to leave a message. Everything I write is available in the blog section of my website for free. If you like what you see, feel free to leave a message in the comment page anytime. I'll respond fairly quickly within reason. Enjoy the music and I'll be back with Second Half shortly. Welcome back to the second half of the Village Oak Tree. My friend in Medium.com sent me a draft of a political history article I've been writing for a while. He asked me if he was too controversial, and after reading it, I sent him a reply telling him that no, it was not, and perfect for this podcast. I want to read this to you because he does a lot better job of explaining the somewhat recent history of the United States Empire, going back to when Richard Nixon was president. It was the start of the criminal masterminds and subsequent U.S. administrations that have put the United States in the position it now finds itself today. So let me read this to you. And it's entitled, Why We Let Children Die? A Closer Look at the Black-Beating Heart of Empire. This is from my friend Mitch in Medium.com. The cost of America's wars will continue to be borne on the backs of ordinary U.S. citizens. Conducting these wars abroad means sacrifice at home, And these are becoming unbearable. Trigger warning. I hesitated for months before writing this article. It's been sitting in my draft for weeks. The conclusions I draw are stark. I believe we won't stop wars if they align with our interests, no matter how many people die. Prove me wrong. I'm open to it. This is a quote. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I'll show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Morpheus, unquote. First, we'll have to go back to 1970. It's important to get the historical context to build the lens through which we can see. I first was introduced to American foreign policy via this 11-year-old video. It literally opened my eyes. What he's talking about here is he's got a link to an 11-year-old YouTube video. It's really, really good. The creator covers a wide swath of American foreign policy from the 70s into the 2000s. None of these are made up. They are simple historical facts. When you look at it through the eyes of a storyteller, you could spot a narrative thread. See if you can find it. Some of the points in the video include one, in 1973, President Nixon brokered a deal that asked Saudi Arabia to sell oil in exchange for U.S. dollars. This gave the U.S. unprecedented economic advantage over everyone else. Number two, in return, America would extend military protection to Saudi Arabia and eventually to all of the oil-producing states for the privilege. This exchange of oil for U.S. dollars was called the petrodollar. Three, as everyone around the world needed oil and they could only get it using U.S. dollars, America's economic fortune skyrocketed. Countries around the world soon began sending us real goods in exchange for our cheaply printed paper dollars. Four, we used the resources and revenues from that deal to build our military into the most powerful in the history of the world. But some oil-producing countries resented our exorbitant privilege. This is five. In 2000, after 10 years of sanctions against Iraq, which were responsible for the deaths of 500,000 children, the U.N. allowed Iraq to sell oil for euros instead of U.S. dollars. Six, this was the first challenge to the petrodollar system. Saddam Hussein, the leader of Iraq at the time, publicly announced he was dumping the currency of the enemy. Seven, in 2003, Iraq was invaded again on the pretext they had weapons of mass destruction. By now, everyone knows, Iraq did not have them. Researcher Nafez Ahmed's suggests that up to 6 million people died as a result of the wars, either directly or indirectly. 8. Iraq's leader, Saddam Hussein, was executed in 2006. 9. After the invasion of Iraq, oil sales were immediately resumed in U.S. dollars, even though they were previously being sold, more profitably, in euros. 10. In 2009, Gaddafi proposed that Libya and other African nations should switch to a gold-backed currency called the dinar. This would be used to sell oil. This would have been yet another challenge to the petrodollar system. Qaddafi was executed by rebels supported by the U.S. in 2011. Iran arranged to sell oil for gold in 2012. If you listened to the media at the time, military action was being contemplated based on the notion that Iran was in the process of building nuclear weapons. 13. No global consensus was ever reached for an Allied invasion. But sanctions are in place, and even today, Iran remains in the crosshairs of the West. May I ask you, is it true to conclude that any person or state that has resisted the use of American dollars for the purchase of oil came under attack from the U.S.? If it is, then only a nuclear-armed nuclear armed state could hope to successfully reject American economy. And that is exactly what happened. In 2021, Russia invaded Ukraine. America immediately stepped into the breach and, together with NATO, began supplying billions of dollars in arms and ammunition to Ukraine simply because a direct confrontation with another nuclear-armed state is unthinkable. Obstensibly, a conventional war together with massive economic sanctions would bleed Russia to death and implement regime as articulated by President Biden. Why else would we find a full-scale war in support of a non-NATO country? Doesn't make sense until you realize in 2008... Russia began making moves to, get ready, sell oil in rubles. And there's a link to an article here from the New York Times. In the shadow of the sanctions imposed on Russia, a geopolitical earthquake was unleashed. Russia began selling oil for rubles in earnest. This was to be the first successful challenge to the petrodollar. Other nations piled on. Many of them had feared economic sanctions in the past, but have now become emboldened. With Russia leading the way, multiple countries began trading on their own currencies, ignoring the needs of the West. Or, worse yet, our longtime ally Saudi Arabia indicated its open to selling oil and other currencies as well as the dollar. Some oil-producing nations, e.g., the UAE, have begun trading in non-U.S. dollars for their gas. And here's an article from geopoliticaleconomy.com. This global shift takes a sledgehammer to the dominance of the petrodollar. These nations have set up their own trading bloc, which they call BRICS. Plus, the acronym BRICS represents the original nations that began working together to sidestep our rules-based world order. These include Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, which, as we know from a previous, uh, previous BRICS convention that they had earlier this year, they're advertising to get more nations involved with this and sign up to be part of BRICS. Together, these countries represent 40% of the world's population and 25% of the global economy. It's interesting to note that BRICS was a Russian initiative. At the time of writing, the war in Ukraine is still ongoing, but funding is drying up. Republicans in the American House of Representatives are hesitating to allow the war to continue on Americans' dime without significant concessions. President Biden has indicated he is open to concessions at the border in exchange for Ukraine funding. So, for anybody outside this country, we're talking about the United States' southern border. Apparently, $100 billion already spent outside of America isn't enough. Hemorrhaging money on one front, America's attention has been pulled into the Middle East, where Israel is at war with Palestine. Some describe Israel as an unsinkable American battleship in the middle of Islamic territory. Without a doubt, Israel exists to secure our interest in the Middle East. According to WION, Israel provides intelligence, RE, Islamic terrorism, and also provides cutting-edge military technology, which some say is actively tested on Palestine before market. At the same time, pro-Israel lobbies provide massive amounts of money to American politicians in order to secure their foreign interests in the halls of the American legislature. He's got another link here uh, from Gravitas. It doesn't help that billions of oil reserves lie beneath Palestine. Many say this is a contributor to the violence of Gaza. What do you think? As I I follow the trail of oil and money, it seems the U.S. military is never far behind. And he's got another linked article here from Al Jazeera. But there have been many about this. I published a couple myself. Putting it all together, in the past, America has done whatever it took to defend the dollar. Thus far, we have not gone as far as exchanging nuclear bombs with other great powers. I hope this is a red line we never cross. Conflicts with great powers, however, loom menacingly on the horizon. China's claims over Taiwan are the most imminent. Over time, the American economy has become heavily dependent on the global demand for the dollar. About 60% of all trade internationally is conducted using the U.S. dollar. Historically, this meant no matter how much we print at home, the demand abroad would siphon it away, until now. Global demand for the dollar is slipping. BRICS nations are reducing their reserves since they began trading in their own currencies. Former bondholders, e.g. China, are dramatically reducing their holdings as American debt is only trending up, in large part because of our military ventures abroad. These moves directly jeopardize our ability to send cheaply printed pieces of paper, USD, around the world in exchange for real, real goods. This already is affecting the American way of life. America cannot afford to lose dollar dominance. This will likely spark financial earthquakes at home. We borrow money to sustain our economy. Unfortunately, fewer and fewer countries are willing to lend to us. Countries around the world have rallied behind Russia and are finding ways to de-dollarize. That puts ever-increasing pressure on America. Costs of borrowing are going up. Inflation is going up. Along the way, life in America is increasingly becoming immiserated. Suicides are up. Substance abuse is increasing, and he's got an article, another article linked here, uh, talks about addiction, suicide, and drugs and all kinds of stuff. People are struggling to cope with miseries being foisted upon them. Money that could be spent at home is being carded abroad clearly. Been demonstrating that our foreign interests trump local issues. This is leading to massive resentment at home. In 2020, the Washington Post suggested three of the drivers of American rage include... Quote, the pandemic, the economic fallout, and civil unrest, unquote. None of these factors have gone away. And then he's got the link here to the Washington Post article. Conclusions. The war in Ukraine may be unending. Given our driving need to defend the dollar, the revolt that began with Russia and Ukraine was funded with almost every reserve we have. The current president has indicated he is willing to support medieval measures at the southern border as proposed by the GOP in order to keep the war going. In the meantime, Russia has moved towards a war footing. Military production together with natural reserves and manpowers available in Russia suggests that the war of attrition to Ukraine will not end any time soon. Gaza will be emptied. Bruised but not beaten, America's attention is pivoted towards the Middle East. Like the flaming eye of Sauron, we fix on Israel, knowing they are our eyes and ears in the Middle East where all the oil is located. Given the importance of Israel to the interests of empire, it's clear we will not lift a finger to stop the war in Gaza. America will continue supporting Israel at any cost. America will lose international standing, and credibility. When the wider global community represented in, in the UN votes to demand humanitarian ceasefires in Gaza, America blocks them. And here's AP News article. American values are now being questioned in the aftermath of this disastrous veto. Even allies like France and Japan supported the ceasefire. It's also true to note President Biden can do something about the bloodshed in Gaza. He chooses not to. He can support the U.N. resolutions instead of vetoing This does not play well in domestic politics. Democrats may lose the next election. The cost of America's wars will continue to be borne on the backs of ordinary U.S. citizens. Conducting these wars abroad means significant sacrifice at home. We see it already. Inflation is wearing away our ability to live ordinary lives. Housing is out of the reach of many. Medical bills can bankrupt families. Education in our children for decades. It is worthy to know. Israel has subsidized health care, housing, and education. It is also obvious America is willing to sacrifice its own citizens in the service of empire. No amount of suffering is too much. No amount of death is enough. This is the black beating heart of empire. This is why we let children die. This is the reason why the Democrats will face stiff headwinds in the next election cycle. It's because we expect better from them. From where I sit, it sure looks like there is a disconnect between what we the people want and where our government focuses its actions. What would Jesus do? Now you know what's going on. The blinkers are off. You can see what we are bringing into the world. Military adventurism, human sacrifice, intolerance, rapacious greed underwritten with death on an industrial scale, all committed in our names, with our tax dollars being used to pay for it. And the irony of ironies? It's hastening our decline. Is this who we are? Prove me wrong. I want to be wrong. Tell me all this suffering is worth it. Give them the evidence, though, it sure seems that empires are built out of the suffering of children and the unending spill of innocent blood. Is it so easy to revert into barbarism? Or am I a fool for looking into the abyss and expecting to see a glimmer of high consciousness? Surely we are better than this. I ask you directly, what would Jesus do? That's what's on my mind in this cold fall day in November. Your answer will change the world. Mitch, and he published this in last month. So, now I'm going to continue on here. Wealthy Americans are not much different than European forebears. Once they amass enough money to feel like they are somebody, they decide that they need to try and control government institutions wherever they are. This includes foreign governments that may have resources they want. American corporations, by proxy governments, are not above supporting coups and assassinations to get what they want. For governments, they use the cover of national security. For corporations, it's for selling to governments so they can defend their national security. Do you see a pattern here? Such has been the foreign and domestic policies since the United States was first defined as a nation unto its own. The first real foreign intervention was the action taken against the Barbary pirates starting in 1801. I found an opinion piece from Al Jazeera that lays it out for us. The American Pursuit of Domination, From Barbary Wars to Iraq. Since its inception, the United States has engaged in an international struggle for power, often in a hawkish manner, by... Abduraham Amor, he's an American Algerian journalist based in Istanbul, Turkey, and I got this from out of Al Jazeera. So despite any narratives to the contrary, U.S. foreign policy has always been about what's the best way to make the most money since the ink on the new constitution was barely dry. The war with the Barbary pirates is all about money, or lack thereof as in Thomas Jefferson knew the newly minted U.S. couldn't afford to pay any tribute to the Pasha of Tripoli for the privilege of trading in North Africa. He decided to use the might of the new U.S. Navy to secure the trade routes without having to bribe the Barbary Pirates anymore. Basically, what he did was he took the American fleet, not that there was much of it, but it had a lot of big guns on it, and he, in two different wars over there, beat up the pirates and and set up the, the trade routes and made themselves a bunch of money. Every foreign war since then has been about the same thing, despite the press releases saying otherwise. Protecting American economic interests abroad in order to make a lot of money. The U.S. traded with countries around the world, just like everyone else, But didn't really start threatening others until Teddy Roosevelt set up the Great White Fleet to sail around the world to show off the American might. The U.S. entered World War I late, mostly because the German U boats started costing Americans money. There were a few other factors involved, but by and large, it was money. The U.S. tried to remain neutral during the Depression years because corporate greed broke the U.S. and the rest of the world. That worked out okay until December 7, 1941. Then Providence dropped in their lap when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Up until then, they were, quote, staying out of the wars in Europe and Asia, but encouraging volunteers to find China and Great Britain. They were already sending war supplies via the merchant marine fleet to Europe. Not for free, mind you, but a tab was being kept for those a little short on cash. The U.S. borrowed heavily on the American taxpayers to fund the war, selling bonds and all that kind of stuff. So they were encouraging heavily, take, bringing home war, war veterans and heroes to run around the country, sell war bonds. And they also sacrificed a lot of essentials to make war materials, copper and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, you know, women went without nylon stockings, so they, they could make parachutes. All the copper they could get uh, went into war materials, so, so on and so forth. After Korea, the U.S. found another way to fund their little wars borrowed from other countries, by selling in bonds. It wasn't too much during, you know, during the Vietnam War days, but when Tricky Dick started selling petrodollars like Mitch's article described, the gates went wide open. With countries now weaning themselves off the U.S. dollars to sell their oil and other trade goods, the U.S. is seriously getting into financial trouble. Although Biden has reduced the national debt by a little bit, the U.S. is by no means solvent in any way. They're still spending more than they are bringing in while the income is slowly dropping off due to an aging population from global corporations relocating to other countries and free trade agreements made in the latter part of the 20th century. More stupid ideas that only help multinational corporations. If Russia and China have their way, they will do all they can to hasten that end. Bankrupt the once mighty United States and take over all its foreign assets. It's kind of starting to do that a little bit as we speak. The trouble with that is that neither country has the financial ability to do that quite yet. Russia is bogged down in a very expensive war in Ukraine and, a proxy, and the proxy wars in the Middle East and Africa. China is imploding some due to not controlling their wealthiest over their real estate bus. Each of them is still trying to make more money than the U.S., in China's case, but moving in on more manufacturing and selling that manufacturing to a lot of other countries except the U.S., if they can out-manufacture the U.S., they can corner their market on certain things, like technology, and take over the top spot in the world. Russia just wants a little respect, to quote the late Rodney Dangerfield, and their old satellite countries back. At least until Putin is no longer in charge of anything. But that may be a long time coming. Then there is the Middle East and the Jews. The U.S. tried so hard these last couple of decades to broker deals that would benefit themselves and failed miserably. It is nearly bankrupt to them, and the current fracas in Gaza looks more like they suck them in for more punishment. Unless Joe Biden can figure a way out without losing his collective American ass. And that, is, and that is the bind he find himself in by jumping right in with both feet to defend Israel after October 7th. He should have looked before leaping so quickly, but it's too late now. By believing in all of the Israeli propaganda after the Hamas incursion, he's gotten burned and is finding himself in a corner, and he has trouble having he's having trouble getting out of it. This with less than twelve months to the next election. You have to know that the MAGA camp will make the most uh, of this after the holidays. Poor Joe. He's in deep trouble and he knows it. As a political face in the United States around the world, he knows it will take the fall for any missteps with Israel. He already has by sending money and war supplies. He's lost pretty much all the Islamic votes in the U.S. now, unless he can do something spectacular for the Palestinians soon. How the mighty have fallen. The U.S. is losing money hand over fist as the Republicans wrangle over the border. The Democrats, abortion and women's rights in general. They think they have been abused and want blood, Democrat blood. Plus immigration, immigrant blood, pregnant women's blood, and probably somebody else as of yet to be named, all to scare the Americans into voting them into office. Given their track record in the last two decades, this will only hasten the end of the United States as we know it. If the U.S. dollar gets replaced as the base trade currency, the country will go belly up. Expect another depression bigger than the one in the 1930s, and they will never recover what they lost. China and Russia, along with their BRICS buddies, will see to it. The U.S. is trying very hard to regain the trust of countries around the world, and it's going to be a long, hard climb after this latest faux pas. Their brand of American-style colonialism has lost steam. Developing nations are no longer afraid of the U.S., as they have been reassured that either China or Russia will have their backs. The U.S. has started to become a bit of a pariah in a lot of places around the world in the last few years. Maybe that's what's needed for the United States to regain its reputation for being the good guys. Not that they ever were, but there's always a first time. The United States needs some humble pie and be made down to sit and eat it for a change. They need to quit trying to mend the world's fences and retreat a little into their own backyard for a change. America needs a lot of internal TLC to bring themselves back from the brink of bankruptcy and collapse. Maybe the U.S. would pay a little more attention to its own domestic issues and let the rest of the world settle their own affairs. The citizens wouldn't be so polarized and close to a civil uprising over its economic situation. Pay attention to the abortion issue. Do something about the border issues, and closing the border isn't the answer. Sorry, Republicans. The U.S. should continue to support Ukraine, as letting Russia have its own way there will spell disaster for all of Eastern Europe. Get out of the Middle East and pay for its oil like everyone else. No more war on global terrorism. Let those people sort things out for themselves. There are enough countries over there that can take the load. The U.S. doesn't need to be there anymore, other than for trade missions. If the U.S. continues to meddle, they will find themselves bankrupt and sitting on the outside looking in as countries start selling more and more exports using their own currency. If the BRICS countries have their way, this will happen sooner than later. China has already tried to replace the U.S. dollars everyone is trading with with Chinese yuan, and it failed recently. That doesn't mean it won't happen again. But the US may get their bluff called very soon and be left holding an empty hand if more countries start trading using their currency other than US dollars. And then it will be game over. The United States star is waning around the world now. And I'm sure that the US government is doing everything they can, legal or shady, to regain their place at the top of the heat. Most of what they are doing will never make the light of day unless someone like Donald Trump decides to sell those secrets to someone else. How prepared are you to face the end of the way of life in the United States that a majority of its citizens have taken for granted since their parents and maybe grandparents can remember? So that's all I have for you today. I appreciate you listening. And I hope I've given you something to think about as you finish your work week. And I, I want to wish everybody a happy holidays. As as I've said before, I'm not a Christian believer. But I will wish everybody a Merry Christmas. It doesn't really matter to me. And I don't get offended by any of it. So Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, and I'll talk to you guys again next week. Boru mahagat. thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it, and that you'll return again for another episode of the Village Oak Tree. Feel free to share this with your friends and relations. The more you share, the more we can convince enough people to make the world a better place to live in. I hope I've achieved my goal in helping you feel like we've been sitting under the Village Oak Tree today. As Ashana came, I want to continue to travel to your digital village every week to bring you something that might bring you a smile or make you think a little bit after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. May you live as long as you want, and never want as long as you live. Schlange foil, which means goodbye for now in Irish.